And as we open to Psalm 146 this morning, we let the author of this psalm, who we think is David, to lead us in that kind of praise, in our worship of our God. So as we, as we go to him in this, let's pray together. Father, help us to worship you and praise you, for you are God and you are good and you are sovereign over all things, and we are yours. So Lord, would you meet us here as we look at your word, help it to stir in us through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to, love, to love you more deeply and to obey you more fully and to live in the joy that you have given us and the abundant life that you have offered. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 146 starts out, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. This is a passionate Praise, a song of praise for David. This is him declaring and singing the praises of the Lord. And there are exclamation points that abound. This is, this is, this is cried out with incredible emotion and affections that have been stirred. And it is in such a way that for many of us in our day-to-day life, it seems a little foreign. I mean, when was the last time, and maybe, maybe this morning, for some of you this feels very real, and for some of you it feels very distant. Like, when was the last time that you praised the Lord in this way? You praised the Lord and sang hallelujah with exclamation points. Charles Spurgeon says this about the psalm. He says, with holy awe, let us pronounce the word hallelujah and by it summon ourselves and all others to adore the God of the whole earth. What he's saying here is that our praise of God should be so loud. It should be so, it should be so clear that people would look and say, what in the world are you doing? It should, be, it should be just this where we are just on display before God and praising our God and King together so that others would look and say, who is this God that they are praising? When David says, I will sing praises to my God with, while I have my being, it's this idea of praising God with everything that I have. And it's hard because it's so easy for us to go through the motions and to accept that as normal. I mean, there's been so many stages in my life where I have accepted a kind of mediocre, temperate praise of God and just said, well, that's just normal. But psalms like this fly in the face of that kind of mindset. The key is that we would not accept that, that we would, we would read Psalm 146. And if this is not where our heart is, that we would plead with God, God, make my heart cry out like this. To not accept a mediocre praise of the Lord, a temperate love of the Lord. To acknowledge and to repent for the deadening of our senses and to understand that our God meets us with grace and with kindness and says, I know, and then stirs our heart more and more if we would have it. 
That's why it's so critical that we gather together. That's why being together is, is so important. I've talked with so many people in coming out of this pandemic that have said, you know, I know that I need to be together with God's people, but I've gotten into such a rut. I've, I've stayed home. I've, I've been home, and it, it, it's comfortable at home, right? Like sitting on the couch. Like there's something really attractive. Like be honest. How many of you, when the pandemic first hit and we just had to completely shut down and, and go virtual, how many of you had part of you on those first couple of Sundays where you're like, hey, church in jammies isn't the worst? Anybody? Anybody going to be honest this morning? All right, right. Yeah, there's a couple of that where you're kind of like, hey, this isn't so bad. But over time, most people, I think, kind of got this feeling where you say, oh, but it's not the best. Right? Like, so you started to feel that, like, uh, I, I feel like I'm missing something, being together with God's people. I'm missing something, hearing their voices. I, I miss that. I miss being together. And then, and, and, and then the pattern often is like, okay, I miss that, but, but this is just the norm. You're kind of settled. And all of a sudden, the, the memory of, of singing together and seeing holy hands lifted up and, and embracing one another, it became kind of a distant memory. And this became kind of our new norm. And I just want to encourage you, it's, it's, it's better to be together. If, you, if you're joining us online, we're, we understand this this time, and, and this is why we're meeting outside this summer, is to serve as an on-ramp. We just want you to know, we, we get it. We understand that it's, it's weird to go back to normal and to kind of feel that way. Has anybody like walked into a, a, any kind of a crowded place and felt like, wow, I forget, I forget how to interact with people. I forget how to be face-to-face with people. And it's, it's, just, it's just different. But church, it's better to be together, to, to sing out loud. We, we see this when, when we kind of deaden ourselves and, and kind of succumb to the idea that lip-syncing worship songs is normal, right? Like you get to that place when you're new in your faith and you're young in your faith and maybe you're a kid, like you just belt things out. Like I, I remember the Robins, like remember um, our, our dear friends, the Robins, who are now missionaries in, in Minnesota, like working in the, in the hockey world and their sweet little girl just belting out the songs, completely off key and amazing. You just love it when you're young like that, you do that. But then as we get older, we're like, ah, it's, you know, I don't, I don't sound quite as good. I kind of realize, like, oh, that's not the best key for me. And so we, we buy into the idea that we stop singing, like, oh, I'm just not going to sing this song. And that becomes like, yeah, I'm just not going to sing this week. And then for many people, it becomes, I don't remember the last time I sang just out loud, as loud as I could. It's better to sing out loud. It's better to, to, to lift our hands. It's better to, to, to just cry out to God with our, whole, with our whole being. Like sometimes our body has to tell our mind and our heart what to do. One of the things that we do in our house, it's kind of been invoked is, I forget who it was. I think it was maybe Lauren who read a study that said, um, uh, maybe it was Lauren and Abby together, but read a study that said to get the full effect of a hug it needs to be 20 seconds long. All right, so, so just like a quick shoulder hug, like whatever, like, okay, it's nice, like human contact, but to get the full effect. So for a while in our house, 
when there's any kind of frustration or feeling like a distance kind of thing or whatever, like we would just, um, we would kind of wrap our frustrated child like in our arms and hug them and they'd be like, ugh, and I'd hug them and then we'd start going, one, <laughs> two, three. And then I, of course, would have to then say, oh, I lost my place. One, <laughs> two, but there's something really powerful in that because what you're doing is you're, you're telling your body, saying, no, I, I love you. You are mine. I'm just going to hold this until my heart and my mind catch up. Church, that's what we do when we worship the Lord. It's, it's a 20-second hug where you just say, okay, God, I'm, I'm here. And some of you are here right now this morning and, and you don't even know, like you, you barely dragged yourself here. I would just encourage you just to embrace the Lord and let him hold you and feel the weight of that. I believe that's what David is doing here. And he's declaring who this God is. He's, he's going to hold God and he's going to declare who God is. Even if he doesn't feel all of these things right now, he's going to declare these things that he knows about God. He's going to say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And, and he, he goes on in verse 3 and saying, like, why? He contrasts it. He says, why would you worship anything else? Why would you go anywhere else for this? He says, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation, When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. Like when we're in the midst of praising the Lord, we realize how silly it is that we would put our trust, our hope in anything else. Because all the other plans of men, as soon as they perish, their plans go with them. Their promises go with them. Like grass They will pass away, as James says. And as you are in that place and saying, okay, God, I'm I'm here to worship you. Make sure we're putting all of our hope and all of our trust in our Lord. Because so much of what is going on today is answered by who and what we put our hope in. And and David's plea is very simply, don't, don't put your hope or your trust in anything from the world. Don't put it in princes or kings. Don't put your trust in yourself or in your own ability to figure things out. Rather, put it in God. And just saying that we don't put our trust in those things, by the way, just saying that we don't put our hope in those things doesn't mean that we actually don't put it there. Amen? Like, I mean, we're really good, as as Robbie had pointed out um, last week, like, our hearts are deceptive. We're really good at saying, like, if I declare it, then it's so. Well, I don't know. Maybe your life works works differently than mine, but, but that's not the way it works with me. Because I can say, like, oh, no, I know Jesus is king. I know Jesus sits on the throne. I know he's sovereign over all things. Even, even if this election goes a certain way, or even if this medical test comes back in a way that I fear, even if everything around me crumbles, but the question is, is it coming out in my life? And David says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob. 
So no matter what that medical test comes back as, if your hope is in the God of Jacob, if that is where your help comes from, is that where your hope is, then David says here in the scriptures, say over and again, you are blessed. And so we praise our God. So just listen to this. It's in your worship folder too, but just listen as David praises God and just let your mind be captured and let this be a 20-second hug. Praise the Lord who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is our God. This doesn't fully represent who we are, right? We are a broken people trying to follow him and being redeemed moment by moment from one degree of glory to another. But this is who our God is, who we worship this morning. And so we can feel that and we can believe that and we can kind of revel in that. But, but then the question comes in because I could, I could just do that and say, amen, hands in, like cheer, and then out the door to a broken world. Because if you live in the world that I live in, I hear that God is these things. He's, he's all of these things. This is what he does. But I still see oppression all over our world. There are still children who go hungry. There are still sojourners who are lost and wandering. There are still orphans who are fatherless. So how does this work? Like, when are you going to do these things then, God? In what way do you do these things? And what do you mean by this? Because we can just stop here and just say, like, well, it's a feel-good psalm. And like, oh, yeah, God is all these things. And then we look around the world and we say brokenness. And we say, okay, then why? And the simple answer that Scripture says over and over again is because of our rebellion. Because of the sin that came in through man. Because we don't trust God. Because we insist on being our own gods. And we have rebelled against him. And we can't fully understand. But there is one who fully understands. And shows us exactly what God has meant. In words like this. In Luke 4. Jesus goes in the synagogue as was his custom on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Sound familiar at all? Jesus is quoting Isaiah, who we believe it seems clear, is quoting the psalm, this psalm. And so when people are reading this psalm and saying, like, for hundreds of years, saying, God, who, who, who are you? Like, when, when are you going to do these things? Like, what do you mean by this? What does it mean that you're going to set the captives free? What does it mean you're going to open the eyes of the blind? What, is, what does this mean? And Jesus one day stands up and reads these things. And then says, it says, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The magnitude of what's happening here is lost often on us who have heard it over and over and over again. But Jesus Christ, God incarnate, became flesh and walked among us. The life of Jesus is the fleshing out, literally, of what God has told his people and promised them. It is the answer to the question of, what do you mean by this, God? Jesus says in in Matthew 13, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those things. And we still are left with that question. Yeah, but, but, but what, what does that look like? What do, you, what do we mean? And as we watch Jesus go and, and care for the poor and, and love the righteous, he, we see him making us righteous. We see him offering himself as the bread of life. But not more than that, he, he says this in John 14. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Like we we love that statement, that, that verse, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we love it that he's the truth. And we think that he is just the way to the father, but that's not all Jesus is saying. He's saying all of these things that you have heard in the Old Testament, they are now fulfilled in your hearing and seeing me and walking with me and abiding in me. He is the fleshing out of all of these incredible promises. He is how we know what God meant by all these things. What does it mean that he executes justice for the oppressed? We look at the life of Jesus and it still is kind of shaky for the disciples. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Like, part of what Philip is saying here is, okay, Jesus, it's great that you're the way to him, but just show us him. Show us, like, where you're taking us. Like, show us him, and it'll be enough. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. 
Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. One of the big questions in our culture today is, if there is a God, how could you possibly know him? And one of the criticisms of Christians who believe the Bible is like, well, who, who are you to say that your picture of God is the right one? Like, there's so many people that believe so many different things. And I will grant you that if I'm the one that needs to decide that, that is a terrible way to go. Like, if you're just, like, relying on me to say, like, well, after years of just seeking after God, I believe I have found him. I'm going to tell you about him. That's not, that's not a good path. What we are declaring is that we believe the account that as people were asking, like, how do we know who this God is? God became flesh and showed us. And we believe because of the works that he has done. That he does these works so that we could understand what all of this means. He heals the blind to show that he can restore spiritual sight. He multiplies food so that he can show that he is the bread of life. He sets people free from demons to show us that he can set us free from sin. We cited this the other week, but when Jesus heals the the paralytic man, he says, which is easier? To say that your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But he says, so that you know the Son of Man has authority on earth, heaven and earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, get up your mat, get up, pick up your mat and go home. He says that so that we would believe. And now for those who believe, now here's the, here's the linchpin that this whole thing hinges on. As we're praising God and saying, okay, God, this is who you are. We, as followers of Jesus, look at the life of Jesus and say, okay, I see what you mean. We know that you're, you're doing this. You're showing that you care for the poor in this way because one day the poor will inherit the kingdom of, of, of heaven. And we see, we see you bring healing and sight to the blind. And we see that that's pointing to this greater truth. And we have experienced this, that we've, we're spiritually blind. And now that we see... And so we're seeing these things. We praise God. We see it demonstrated in the life of Jesus, pointing back to, oh, this is what you meant. And now we are the body of Christ. And it is our testimony, to, it is our charge to carry on this ministry that Jesus had. That when the people of the world see the church, they should see Jesus. And if they see Jesus, they see the Father. See how that works? To a world that says, how could you possibly know who this God is? Or how can we possibly know who, how this God functions and how he works? That we would be able to point, the way it's supposed to work is we'd be able to point to the church. We'd say, see? See how they love? See how they function? If you've seen the church, then you've seen Jesus. And then we can say, we're pointing to Jesus. Because if you have seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. That's why it's so critical that we are about the things that our Father is about. And so when we look at this and we see things like justice for the oppressed and food for the hungry and comfort for the afflicted, this has become this thing in in the church and there's two ditches that we fall into. 
One, one ditch is that we think it's just about, okay, well, we just need to tell people about Jesus. So forget all those things. All those things were just pointing to him. So just tell people about Jesus and forget about all these works that he said would verify that he is who he says he is. I don't think I could have said that in a more confusing way, but I could try. <laughs> it made sense up here. Here's the deal. Our life, the church, should be a demonstration of these same things pointing to these same glorious truths that are far bigger than the world even realizes. When Jesus himself says, believe then because of the works you have seen, these works are demonstration of the words that we speak. So, so one ditch is that we say, well, we just say, we just need to preach the gospel and forget about all this other stuff. And we put labels on it like social justice and social gospel. And we say, well, that's, that's for people who don't believe in salvation. Well, Jesus would beg to differ, right? He does care about those things deeply. God cares about those things deeply because they point to who he is. And so we see that we need to do that. But the other ditch is to think that those works can stand apart from the words. That somehow by just serving the poor and caring for the oppressed, that just doing that in and of itself is a path to salvation. And it is not. The work of feeding the hungry apart from the salvation of Jesus Christ is a path to destruction like anything else. And who else is going to proclaim that? It's the church. The church is the one that's going to go in and say, like, I will just give everything I can. I'm going to feed people and feed people and feed people and I'm going to tell them about the bread of life. Because they won't understand the gospel just by eating bread. If you believe the Bible and you see what is happening, you know these things can't be separated. We are faithful in demonstrating the smaller things so that we can point to the greater thing. I mean, look at what he says in, in, in verse 6. We, we, he says, Who made heaven and earth? God, God who made, we praise the Lord, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. Okay, so God created everything, right? That's why we care about the earth. That's why we care about the environment. It's not because we, we believe that somehow that if we just work hard enough, we can reverse things and we can, make, we can save our planet ourselves. No, we can't. But we can love our Father's creation. It can be valued. So we can do that and we can say, well, well I care about the environment because my Father created it. And, and then I can tell him about the, the one who's going to come and create a new heavens and new earth and we will get to reign in that. And we see this in verses 7, 8, and 9. And what he does is he, he talks about these. And, and when I look at that, I, I see these three categories. I see how God um, acts towards the oppressed, the afflicted, and the vulnerable. And I just want to just demonstrate this and, and really briefly of how this works so that we can understand it, so that we can be infused with the gospel as we go and we do these things, that we would not fall into the ditch of just saying like, well, I, I'm not about that. I'm just about telling people about Jesus or fall into the other ditch of th thinking like, well, I don't preach Jesus and I don't tell anybody about Jesus. I don't want to sound like that, but I sure will go serve. We need to understand that as God's people, we do both. They work together. They are not separate things. They are intertwined because he has intertwined them. And so we see in verse seven, how God, what God does for the oppressed 
It says, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. We have a different hope in these things. Like we look at people, the world looks at people who are oppressed, whether by their own, first they want to find out like, well, why are you oppressed? Is it your fault? Is it my fault? Is it their fault? God doesn't seem to care here. It's not about that. It's about when you see people who are oppressed, we work for justice. But not as the world does. The world puts their hope in systems and politicians and programs for things like justice and fighting against poverty. They believe that by human strength, we can overcome it if we just all do enough. But we in the gospel say that those systems are as broken as the people who are involved in them. Because we understand brokenness. Because that's who we are. And our Lord is piecing us together. Our mission is to point to others to the one who executes justice perfectly. To care for the justice and care for the poor while demonstrating it, through, to tell them about this Jesus who cares about those things while demonstrating it through our works, like what we're doing. So he says, we praise the one who executes justice for the oppressed. We care about, the ju- we care about justice. Look, I don't believe that there's any system or law that can eradicate inequality, whether it's ethnic or racial or economic. I don't think there's enough education that will stop the core of us trying to be our own gods and exalting ourselves above others. There's only one cure for that, and it's Jesus. But because our Father is just, I care about justice. And I declare the one who will make all things right one day. And so I weep with those who are the victims of oppression. I weep with those who are a victim of a crime. We can sit alongside and we can, we can say, look, I'm going to sit with you in here. I will fight for justice for you. But at the same time, I want you to know that whether here or in eternity, there is one who will make all things right. One who will call to account every sin and every wrong. We praise the one who gives food to the hungry. And so we care about feeding the hungry and taking care of the poor in our area. You realize how many children we have in our county who go hungry? We should be on the front lines of saying, we will feed you. We'll give you all the food that we can muster up. And we will feed everybody, anybody and everybody. I don't care where you come from or whatever. We will feed you. And as we are feeding you, we will say to you, I'm feeding you because I've received the bread of the life from the one who rescued me from the pit of despair. And I want you to know that whatever happens here on earth, whether your belly stays full for the rest of your life or it doesn't there is one who loves you and knows you and will one day make you full because blessed is he who thirsts and hungers for righteousness for they will be filled and we praise the one who sets the prisoners free and so as we visit inmates as we help those in the prison of addiction and as we are comforting and walking alongside of them we tell them of the one who has set us free from our imprisonment to sin we offer them the hope of the gospel while we are with them and we make that offer that will, even if they are never set free here on earth, they will be free one day. And if you want to do that, church, we've, we've got to be about this. And we have people. If you want to visit people in prison with the hope of gospel, let me know and I can connect you with people who go and do that. If you want to help the homeless or feed the hungry, 
Let us know. We are mobilizing to do that. And pray for us. We are, we are praying right now. Like God is moving in some certain ways like around this area to, to try to deal with some of these issues. And by the grace of God, we have been finding ourselves in the middle of that. So please pray for us. Pray that we would do more to care for the poor and the oppressed in our area. He says in verse 8, the afflicted. It says, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. I think you could put all kinds of things in this category, but he's talking about opening the eyes. We're talking about physical illness, physical things that are going on. Like some of you are battling physical illnesses. And I want you to know, we will pray for you. We'll pray for healing. Unapologetically, without reservation, I will pray and pray. The elders will come around you and lay hands on you. We will pray for healing. But as we are doing that, we will point you to the one who will restore you. That even though our bodies are fading, there's one who will resurrect our bodies and give us new bodies. And so whether you are physically ill or mentally ill or disheartened or discouraged, the Lord heals and lifts up. That's why it's important for us to do that with people. We see this in Jesus who heals the blind, who calls the outcast daughter, and who touches the leper. And so we do likewise. We visit the sick in the hospitals and in their homes. If you want to do that, let us know. We will connect you with people who go in and sit by the bedside of those who are sick. And we will pray for healing and we will tell them about our Jesus who restores all things. We will tell them of the one who opened our eyes to see his goodness, who healed our hearts broken by sin. And in our sitting by the bedside, we show them then tangibly how God sits with them. See why it's so critical? I just tell you. I can show you and tell you. We do that with the mentally ill. We stay steadfast, showing them that God does not grow weary. If you're struggling with mental illness in here, understand this. God is not tired of you. He is not tired of this battle with you. And we want to be a church that would walk alongside and show you what that means. So we can point to Jesus so you can see the Father. We praise the Lord who lifts up those who are bowed down, who are discouraged. Let me ask you this. Who do you know who needs a word of encouragement today? Who needs words that are spoken of life to people who, who, are, who are down? It's just encouragement. And then tell them about blind Bartimaeus, who in his desperation just cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And just embarrassing himself in front of everybody. And, and having how Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. There's so many people in our area, in our neighborhoods, who are so disheartened and discouraged and feel like life is done for them and that they've made a mess of it and they cannot get it back. And he has placed you there to speak life, to offer encouragement, to say, lift up your head. Your redemption is drawing near and it is found in Jesus Christ. And I will demonstrate what he means by that by walking with you. So pray with us. If you want to do those things, if you, if you need to know how to, dis, how to encourage someone or how to walk alongside, we're, we've been praying for, to be able to train up counselors who can walk with people, train people to sit with the afflicted. 
And then in verse 9, the vulnerable. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So we praise the Lord who watches over sojourners. And so we do that too. And yes, this obviously, like you can't say something about sojourners and not say this definitely has to do with refugees. It 100% does. But it's not just that. That's an incredible demonstration of the gospel because we were refugees. We were rebels. We were apart from him. We were wanderers and sojourners. But God saved us and made us a people. But it also means people moving into town. You realize how many new jobs are being added in this area? Do you know how many people are going to be moving into your neighborhoods and into the schools? Kids that are in here that are school age, you think that you're a part of this? We just talked about how we train salt, that you are leaders too. You're going to have kids who are new in your classroom. And what Jeff said two weeks ago, that you can walk into a room either to be welcomed, to find who will welcome you, or to see who needs to be welcomed. Church, let us be that so that we can tell people about this God who welcomes the stranger and the wanderer and the sojourner. Let's walk into the room differently. Let's greet people at our workplaces who are new employees differently. We have a lot of opportunities for this. When he talks about the way of the wicked he brings to ruin, he does it through redemption and through good. That's why we're told to overcome evil with good. Because God is good and he overcomes that. The wicked cannot stand against him. One of the greatest places of wickedness in our culture is that there are those who would take advantage of the vulnerable. Victimizing the weakest of us for personal gain. Church, we are commanded to watch over them. Not to abdicate that to somebody else, but we are God's people. He watches over the vulnerable, and so we are to watch over the vulnerable. Whether it is the unborn or the refugee, the orphan or the widow, that is our job, and to do it as Jesus did it. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we are his body. Our Jesus took us who had no home and gave us a home. He took us who were spiritual orphans and made us sons and daughters of the creator. And so we have some opportunities to do that. I've got a couple of specific ones that I really want to make sure that you understand. Number one is CASA. We keep talking about it. They need five more volunteers. Five in Marinette. That's right, right, Robbie? Five. Five people who will commit about an hour, to, about an hour a week to be an advocate for a child whose family is kind of caught up in, in, in the system and to make sure that that child is advocated for, to make sure that they understand what's going on, to make sure that they are being cared for, to just be a voice and a, just a, a place like of strength for them. We need five. Which is really incredible given where they were. And many of you have done that. And if you are curious about that, ask us and we can point you to people who have done it and they can help answer all of your questions. And the other one is, as you know, we've, um, many of you know that we have a ministry called Welcomed. We've partnered with this ministry called Welcomed that surrounds foster families with care teams who do everything from mow, mow the lawn to take kids for respite care. It's all, all the things. And so when you say welcomed is a great thing, because if you come to us and you say, look, I would love to help, but all I can do is like, I've got like one hour a month. Awesome. We can use that. 
Or you say, you know what, I would love, I'll go through the training to be a respite care provider and take kids in. We can fold some kids in to our life, you know, for a weekend so that they can have some rest. Or you might say, you know what, I think, I think I'm supposed to, we're supposed to be a foster family. We're supposed to care. Do you, do you see those signs all over? You've seen foster families needed? Like, they're billboards and signs. And every time I would go past one of them, I just think, that's, that's us. Right? Like, we're the church. Like, we know how to do this. Our Lord cares for us. We were orphans, and he adopted us as sons and daughters. We know how to care for orphans. We know how to do this. So whatever your place is right now, understand that we are the church. This is what we're about. We're about those things so that we have this platform to declare the goodness of our Lord. You see how these things are so much bigger than just these issues. We are constantly being given opportunities to show people what God means in his word. What he means when he says that he executes justice for the oppressed, where he opens the eyes of the blind or watches over the sojourners. And those works serve as the platform to tell the world that he offers even greater justice, greater healing, and a greater welcoming than they could ever imagine. That's what he's done for us. And we get to tell others about that and then show them what we mean. Some of you may be sitting here thinking this off script here, which a lot of this has been, especially the confusing parts. But if you're sitting here going like, I got no energy left. I don't know what I have to give. Let us know. If you say, like, I'll give anything. Maybe you are a person who from your home, you can pray, you can pray for people and you could invite, could you, could you invite an overwhelmed mom to your porch and have coffee? An encourager? Could you make a phone call to someone who's feeling discouraged and offer words of encouragement or hope? Could you share your story of what Jesus has done in your life as an encouragement to point them to the one who redeems? Like, listen, you're here, so I'm going to assume that God's not done with you. And so we want to help mobilize you to do these things so that we can give water to those who thirst and point them to the one who offers living water. So we can give food to the hungry and point them to the bread of life. So we can give an orphan a home and care here on earth, but to tell them there's one who adopts them into an eternal home and an eternal family. To give temporary refuge to the sojourner, but telling them there is one who welcomes them home forever. We can comfort the blind and the sick and the hurting and tell them there is one who brings ultimate healing and opens the eyes of your soul. We can visit the prisoner in their affliction, but tell them of the one who sets them free. We can call for justice and let them know that there is one who makes all things right, that he is coming back to judge the living and the dead, and he will make all things right. This is the Lord our God. Let us praise him. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that you are who you say you are. We thank you, God, that you have created everything, that you, that you execute justice, that you comfort the hurting and the sick, that you watch over the wandering, because we are all of those things. We are lost, dead in our sin. 
And instead of remaining distant with us, you became flesh and lowered yourself into the pit and pulled us out. And as you have done for us, we are to do for others. God, give us a renewed passion and desire that as we praise you for who we are, that it would automatically turn to what we have seen in Jesus and then how we are to be in the world. God, give us opportunities. We are here. We are imperfect. We are weak. But we are here. So God, I pray that as a church body, that our hearts would be stirred. Thank you, God, in all the ways that you have worked through this church body over the years. We give you praise and glory and honor. We want more. We want to praise your name more. We want to be used by you more. We want to be in the community more. We want you to put us in those hard places so that we can declare your goodness to a lost and hurting world. It is only in your strength. It is only in the gospel. It is only in the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to make these pleas and ask for these things and carry them out. And it is for your glorious name. Amen.